Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good lad. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. You're very welcome to Second Captains at the Irish Times, show number one of the week. I did mention last week that my Liverpool sporting friends were beginning to get a bit anxious about the idea that they were champions-elect, a phrase that I heard used quite a lot. And just the general idea, once they'd beaten Man City, that the title was in the bag. Um, it's not just hindsight, Ken. That uh, Kieran's back from holidays. Hey, on. Hey, Ken. Hey, Kieran. But I'm opening up with Ken here. It's okay, Murph. Please, ease me back into it, on. It's not just hindsight that tells us that they had a lot to worry about when it came to Jose Mourinho's Chelsea. It was pretty clear, if Liverpool had seen Chelsea in Europe last week, yeah. that they were quite a solid defensive team. Now, the strange thing watching it was, and I was thinking early on, OK, Chelsea, I know, I understand you're trying to frustrate them and you're trying to slow them down and all these things, but the time-wasting after two minutes, I kind of thought, well, this is a little bit extreme. Well, that was Are brilliant. You, but you do have to win the game, I was thinking. But fortunately for them, see, was it a tactical... M- Master plan by Jose Mourinho, or did Steven Gerrard fall over? Do, no. do some people sometimes win football matches by somebody falling over? Because the, the falling over is part of the plan. Yeah, so. Jose Mourinho foresees that the opponent is going to make a terrible mistake at some point. Ken was talking about this last week, and I was listening intently, even though I was on holidays. The, the plan, fallibility of humankind. Yeah, the plan assumes that since you're playing against 11 human beings, there's 11 big uh, bags of fear and chaos trundling around the, the field in red shirts there. <laughs> and it could overspill at any moment. But when it, when it does, the, the, you know, the, essentially the ha- their half of the field will be slicked with terror and your strikers can skate through unopposed and slam in the killer goals. That's the, I mean, the idea that it's just an accident that Gerard, that, that Gerard fell over. Well, it was. It is an accident. But accidents happen. Because and Jose the- Mourinho's plan takes account of the fact that accidents are going to happen. Because it's, the other team has the ball. Especially a team that's going to try and play with seven men ahead of the ball and Gerard is the last man. Accidents are particularly like to ha- likely to happen in that situation. Well, that is interesting. I'll tell you, Owen, it's a bit like if you were um, uh, driving around in your car, speeding all over your neighbourhood irresponsibly. Which I wouldn't be doing, of course. You, of course you wouldn't do it. And you're sending uh, Facebook updates about yourself uh, while you do it, photographs and typing in Facebook updates, speeding around my neighborhood, having a great time. That's a situation in which accidents are likely to happen. Mm. So Jose Mourinho 
sends his team out to play in a way in which accidents are less likely to happen. And let's see what the other team does. And if they have a little accident, then we're going to be ready to profit. Does the holding midfielder usually, on most teams, end up having the ball with nobody behind him? Um, well, I mean, the way that Liverpool were, were have been playing in the last few months involves when they've got the ball. Steven Gerrard is very deep. He's almost between the central defenders. One of the defenders is... The two defenders kind of split wide enough and Gerrard plays the ball from there. And usually there isn't any pressure on him. And even in the case that... Uh, and he, he gets a lot of time to, to spray the passes about. And Chelsea didn't even put much pressure on him, really. Demba Ba was standing close to him, but it was an accident... Ultimately. Two accidents, really. The Two accidents. Control yeah. and then the slip. He, miss, he misses the ball, then he slips. Um, you know, but it's, I mean, it's only, I suppose, in retrospect that you think, well, that was a bit risky. Why were we doing that? <laughs> you know, given that Liverpool only needed a, a clean sheet. Listen, Ken, they were going all out for the victory they didn't need. Well, that's why the time-wasting was, was brilliant. I mean, it, it was, no one had thought of doing that. Uh, at least if they had, hadn't been able to, you know, just just uh, every single time the ball goes dead, every single time we we get the ball, or especially if the ball is out of play, make sure it doesn't come back in for ages. And they're all going to be standing around going, "What's going on?" And all the fans are are going to are, are slowly going to be going, "Oh, what are Chelsea doing?" You know, start playing Chelsea. This isn't fair. It, it would actually be quite instructive to watch the first half an hour of the Liverpool Chelsea game and the first half an hour of the. Liverpool Arsenal, Arsenal game, yeah. <laughs> which were basically literally every single thing that Chelsea did, yeah. Arsenal did the opposite. The thing time wasting that. part was strange in how the referee dealt with it. Just like the referee just kept pointing yeah, to his he was watch. Like, he was like the, the substitute teacher who comes in and tries to lay down the law and says somebody's going to get kicked out, and you know they're not going to kick you out. They're a substitute teacher. They don't want you standing outside. The principal walking by, going, "Why is there a student standing outside? Can mm. the substitute teacher not keep a hold of these guys?" Yeah. And the ref was just. Just constantly staring at Mark Schwarzer, point, pointing at his watch, yeah. and then saying, I'll, "I'll be adding this on at the end of the half." Yeah, Schwarzer. Schwarzer just rolls up another spitball and <laughs> fires it through his straight into the face, <laughs> you know, and then takes another thirty seconds over his goal kick. I mean, but but it works. It works really well. You know, Liverpool didn't have what Liverpool failed to do. I think was respond to the fact that Chelsea were going to be a different type of team from the ones that they had been facing. They just tried to do the same thing they always do. Mourinho knew exactly what they were going to do. So Mourinho had a plan specific to the game and Liverpool uh, didn't. I mean, they, they, they were the, the willing victims of what Chelsea did to them. We will talk a bit more about Liverpool and, and their side of things a little bit later on in the in second captain's football. But Munster were beaten and Ian Keatley and Simon Zebo Murph afterwards had to mm. withstand the interviewing style of Graham Gizahug Shawsey uh, Simmons. Sorry. Mm. Gizahug Shawsey was the nickname I was going to try and throw in there for Graeme Simmons, the interviewer, who I find very entertaining on Sky, but I would imagine as a player, he might be a little more entertaining if you've just won a match than if you've actually lost a match. He's got what you might call a very... Uh, chummy. Chummy interviewee style. Very chummy interview, interviewing style. Um, and the, the Gizahug Shawsey was, I think, after the last the, test of the 2009 Lions test, yeah. when Simon Shaw was basically crying at the most heartbreaking defeat of his entire career. And then he has this interviewer acting like he's his best friend. Um, but, yeah, well, see, to be honest, I can put up with a certain element of tomfoolery in my post-match interviewer. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm much more willing to give the post-match interviewer some scope in that area than the commentator or the co-commentator. Because really, the post-match, I mean, it's, you know, it's the, the dessert. Thing. You know, no, it's the dessert. I mean, the game is over. 
um, you're either going to get a pretty boring post-match interview with a player who doesn't want to do it, or you can get a guy who's really antagonising him and is getting some sort of a human reaction off him one way or the other, whether that's, this guy's kind of funny, or, God, this guy. Well, I could do this guy. <laughs> Rip his head off. But, uh, yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I'm prepared to give him that. But, in fairness, there wasn't too much of the, the chummy chummy oh, stuff no, no. with Ian Keatley or Simon. No, 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 it was, it, was just, it was just very, it was very, you could just see how devastated they were. And, uh, I don't know, Keatley in particular hadn't seen interviewed that often. So, yeah. maybe that was it as well, that you're, you're, you're seeing this guy and you're just seeing the pain. It was just totally unvarnished kind of pain of losing a match. Although... Simmons did interview after the quarterfinal interviewed, I think it was CJ Stander along. No, it wasn't. It was, uh, well, certainly it was Paul O'Connell anyway, yeah. whoever he was along there with. And O'Connell had scored a try. <laughs> and Simmons was taking some of the joy out of the occasion. Ah, oh, O'Connell, when is the last time you scored a try, O'Connell? <laughs> You've been boring all the boys with your talk of your try, O'Connell. Something like that. And Paul O'Connell was like, well, uh, no. It was about a year no, ago I scored no, a try. No, I won't actually. I won't be doing that at all. Oh, oh, Owen, I'm sorry. I'm a clean forgot to lock Wolfie in the canteen. I'm, I'm sorry. Oh, well, don't worry about that, Murph, because it's not actually Wolfie. Wolfie no. is safely in the canteen. That's just our second captain's competition, Wolf Hell. Oh, does that mean we can talk about KBC Bank now? Oh, yes. And indeed, your favourite type of bank account. Super! That's the KBC regular saver. That's the one. With the help of KBC, we're offering one lucky listener the chance to win a 500 euro cash prize. If I won that, I'd start saving straight away, not squander it. But that's not all, Murph, because that money will come in a special limited edition second captain's P-Bezo mug, along with... <laughs> for, for some reason, along with a set of super <laughs> slick second captain's darts. It's the finest tungsten known to man. To enter the competition, just visit w, uh, www. You might as well throw that in there. Irishtimes.com. For those of you slash unfamiliar with how the internet works, I want to give the address here. Open your internet browser. <laughs> Turn on your computer. <laughs> Irishtimes.com forward slash second captains. Irishtimes.com forward slash second captains. And for more information, visit the KBC regular saver page on kbc.ie. Terms and conditions apply. And I don't need to tell you lads here that KBC Bank Ireland is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Now, Dublin's league title is what we're going to discuss first up here today with Anthony Moyles and Ushi McConville who've popped into the studio. Guys, thanks for calling in. No butter. Having us. The, uh, well, first of all, Brian McIver said after the, the match yesterday, Derry manager, it's hard to judge how good Dublin were considering Derry's level of performance. Uh, is that true? Or can you can, can everyone join in with the uh, the chorus of praise for Dublin after yesterday's performance? I think it'd be, it's hard not to praise them after yesterday. Um the intensity they started with, um, the intent to start with. There's no team in Ireland to live with that. I think there's probably only one team that has an opportunity of beating Dublin this year, and that's probably Mayo if they get their act together. And obviously, you've got to take into consideration the fact that they're mentally unstable. But um, I think the big thing about Dublin yesterday was their intent from the first minute to go forward to attack the game. Uh, again, likes of Michael Darrow McCauley sort of sets the tone for all the rest of the players around the field. Self and Anthony were talking earlier about about Dublin and the way they go forward. They don't care about if there's holes at the back or anything else. They bomb forward. One sequence of play after that I seen was that the kick out went to uh, Keanu Sullivan. Keanu Sullivan popped the ball to uh, Philly McMahon who was coming off his shoulder, and then all of a sudden Johnny Cooper comes off his shoulder. That's mm. the two corner backs. Uh, Johnny Cooper, you know, spent most of the match, you know, just literally bombing forward, not give, not caring what was behind him. He was and supposed to be, he was the guy who's supposed to be mark, man marking Derry's best player, Mark Lynch, as well. Yeah, he, it was one way of man marking is probably just to bomb on and well, let him it, worry about you a bit. He was, yeah, he was giving Lynch something to think about, which probably players haven't done, you know, so far this year. Lynch was probably 
you know, Derry's best player and the fact that he was fairly positive when he got the ball. He looked strong in possession and all that sort of thing. But the rest of them physically looked out of their depth yesterday. You know, and I think uh, it was scary. We said it the last day. It's scary when you look at and he, Then you look at what they brought off the bench. Brought a few players off the bench yesterday that probably didn't think might have come off the bench. But, you know... The strength and depth is absolutely amazing. You, you can probably ask about motivation and wonder what a league title means to Dublin at this stage. They're all Ireland champions, which is clearly the priority. But I think Keanu Sullivan made the point afterwards that he'd been talking to Alan Brogan, who, who didn't play last year and had never played in the league final for Dublin. So it didn't look as though they were going into this match. I don't know. I don't know. This is the motivation we we want to be league champions? Is the motivation that we want to lay down a marker here, or is the motivation just that there's a, a culture of excellence there now that they feel they need to match up to each time they go out? Yeah, I'd say the I'd say it's the, the 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 culture of excellence one. I think they're he has such a pick now, and and the, and the the depth of the pool is 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 so so vast that I think they're still all under serious pressure. You know, and if you think about Dublin's preparation, well, then behind the scenes there's obviously massive preparation that go into, and I've heard this from one or two guys with regard to stats on players first 10 minutes first 15 minutes how many players around the middle get on the ball and stuff like this and if you're not doing your job or you're not getting on the ball you're under serious pressure so each one of them you know is, is looking over his shoulder to a certain degree and that just drives you on even more like I mean there was years ago I've played in teams I'm sure you've played in teams where you're kind of saying you know bar you just literally put the ball on your own net you won't get taken off here so but none of those Dublin fellas have that luxury anymore you know it doesn't really matter who you are you know there's one or two maybe but you see fellas just just, just being taken off very very quickly especially lads around the periphery who are really trying to make their that's name that's interesting though because that, I don't know if you're if you have that mentality that okay I have to get on the ball in the first 10 or 15 minutes because I would have thought that there's a potential there to create a bit of anxiety in players that you, you overdo things and you're you're not sticking to whatever position you're supposed well, to be. Well, there in. is, but 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 exactly that that's exactly it. But as Ushin says, they don't stick to whatever position they're in. They're not they're not you know kind of robots. They're not stuck in it. Like I mean, you see fellas just going off the shoulder. You see fellas taking a chance. And I think Gavin has the culture that Gavin, from what I can see, is is just have a go, have a go from whatever angle, have a go from like the options yesterday. There was one sequence of play just where where. Philly McMahon came down the field cornerback down the field he takes his time solos the ball he just looks for O'Gara inside pops a little pass O'Gara coming out like a train O'Gara was coming out beats Christian McKay and he had three options of players to hand pass the ball to it was like left, right right in front of me oh I'll take it on myself that's impossible to mark uh, yeah interesting you um, mentioned Owen O'Gara there because I think he is the guy more than anyone else that Gavin has played like a fiddle in this for the, for the last two years in this league in particular, I think mean, I think you even said a couple of weeks ago he comes on now. He's angry uh, every time you see him playing for Dublin now, um, and what he's done for O'Gara is basically met him. A, he, like he looks a brilliant player to me now, like a really really tough guy to to handle. And himself and and Brogan were pretty much unmarkable at different stages yesterday. Yeah, well, in that two man full forward line, you know, you've got power, strength you know, directness with him and an ability also to, 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 you can just, you can put a high ball in there at him, you know, like he caught one ball, yes, he actually held off Christy McCaig and just put up one hand, batted it down in front of him and then just laid it off to Bernard Brogan coming out. And at that, at 20, 25 metres out, Bernard Brogan and kicked them all day. So he does give them something different, Murph, where a lot of players, you know, who they've had in the past inside with Bernard, 
don't it's kind of similar you know you're running into the same angles Paddy Angers didn't really work inside with Bernard different fellas but O'Gara is literally and his confidence is obviously and he, and he has that as you say that look of a fella who's trying to really prove a point A key thing though uh, that they seem to have gotten right over the last couple of years O'Sheen is how they use the bench and how those guys are motivated because you're talking about the players who won't start Dean Rock was probably the, the big impact sub last year and Kevin McManaman McManaman comes on scores a goal again yesterday he did an interview in the Sunday Independent and he was talking about how relaxed he is going on as a sub he says it's very difficult to make an impact on a game I know that so I don't put myself under pressure which is funny because Dublin supporters are looking at him when he comes on and thinking he'll get us a goal Yeah I think everybody's looking at him when he comes off but I think going back even to the Bernard Brogan situation where he hasn't played a lot of football all year he looks a very very hungry player you know, he looks as hungry, I suppose, as, as I've seen him, but also hungry for scores, hungry to get on the score sheet, hungry to get himself in those sort of positions. You could see a couple of times, even yesterday, he was frustrated, and they were winning, I think it was 219, 1-7 or one eight or whatever it was, but he was still hungry for scores, and all the Dublin boys were hungry for scores. And I suppose, you know, you look at Dublin and you think, you know, how do you get better? You know, how do you improve? And Jim Gavin's probably looking, how do we improve from here? And I think, how do you improve is, you know, you keep at, you keep doing the exact same things you're doing, but you do them better. And you do them with more pace and more power. And we were talking about injuries and the amount of injuries that every single team in the country seems to have right now. Dublin don't seem to have that same injuries. And the other thing is that if they do get an injury or two, you're not worried about them. You're not thinking they're overly reliant on one or two players. McCauley. Even... Even Bernard Brogan, even Macaulay. I think I, I actually think that, you know, they can still come in. They can still replace those players. I think they can. Um, they, Jim Gavin can look behind him every single day. He, he has a challenger match or a league match or whatever. He can look behind him. and He can say, right, I have somebody here who can actually make a difference, rather than just making a substitution for the sake. In of the biggest games, though, are they not as reliant as any other team is going to be on those two or three key guys? No, I don't. I actually don't believe so. No, I don't believe so because they're playing with so, such confidence now, and they're playing with such belief in themselves. And the players who are coming on, like even young lad Redden yesterday, like he thought nothing of sticking the ball over his shoulder from forty yards and kicking it over the bar, you know. And that's just that's a confidence that it, that I suppose goes right through the team, right from uh, the goalkeeper who who is absolutely unbelievable in what he does in every facet of of his game. And that seems to reverberate right through the team. Anthony, you could take out one or two of those key guys and Dublin would still be okay? Well, I think I should hit it. You, I, I think Cluxon would be hard to replace, you know, because he's so integral to what to do in, in. Like, I was watching this even yesterday in there. Like, their kickouts are exactly what the kickouts should have always been is that it's a restart, it's a chance now to gain possession. And no other thing. It's kind of ridiculous that we it took us 123 years. <laughs> yeah, <to> exactly. <laughs> so we don't just have kick it down the middle here. and we all yeah. just jump. I, around. I like the old school. Yeah. The breaking ball. Like I mean, I wouldn't even say they actually do stats on breaking ball because it's amazing. I've watched. You think Connolly's doing nothing actually in, in, when when an opposite team is attacking, and as soon as they get a score or a wide, he's gone. And whoever has gone from him, i.e. a half-back, Cluxon just looks for him left and right and it's just played into him. And you see him gathering the ball in acres of space and you kind of think, how's he doing that? But he's pretty, I think, O'Carroll also at full-back. My, my, the one thing, you know, we're talking a lot about Dublin, I suppose, and, you know, you also have to look at how can they be beaten and who can beat them, you know. And like yesterday, Derry, for me, they, should, they showed no intent. They showed no spirit, no desire. They got a goal at the start. It was a pretty perfect start for them. You know, drive on from there. 
And even at that, they probably had four or five goal chances. They stood, they had definitely four. They had one just before half time, which a man blazed over the bar, which would have put them, I think, five behind. Um, and then they had two. They got a decent point at the start of the second half. And then they had two more goal chances with men coming in towards the Hill 16 end and put them over the bar. Now, I don't know if they were trying for goals, but they blazed them over the bar instead of just taking a chance. And with this Dublin team, if you ever get in behind the full back line, you have to just take whatever chances you get. You have to just go for the juggler to hell with it. Do you know whether it's championship? Yeah. league because at the other end Bernard Brogan gets a ball he turns onto his left foot and he, he, he blasts the goal yeah. off the stanchion yeah, yeah. like the goalkeeper you like that one machine yeah, yeah, uh, one off the stanchion one, yeah. always looks good well the keeper's response was the best I think he thought he, he <laughs> <kind of laughs> if the keeper actually went put his two hands out to say wide <laughs> kind of like a 1960s throwback there as the, the keeper said well I'm yeah. not diving for that <laughs> forget that <laughs> yeah but so O'Carroll I still think they're struggling a little bit with that diagonal high crossfield ball um, I still think they're struggling with that or even any kind of long ball into the full back line there still seems to be a bit of Philly McMahon's going for it O'Carroll's going for it there still yeah, seems to be a little bit of Roy O'Carroll's probably the one player who maybe uh, I don't know he, he gets a lot more exposed as a full back it's a bit like the Man yeah. City defence we see that it's all great going forward but I can imagine that full back line are sometimes thinking you know if we could do a bit of cover here because we, we do get exposed sometimes well in there yesterday one thing that Derry failed miserably they had a two man full forward line and they may as well not have had a two man full forward line because the two men full forward line actually stood behind O'Carroll and Philly McMahon they never showed once so Derry were coming out with the ball, coming out with the ball, hand pass, hand pass, looking for Mark Lynch to get on it. And then they were basically running right at the two-month full forward line. So they were closing that gap. So there was acres of space, but they weren't putting the ball into the space because A, the forwards weren't making the runs. So Derry held the ball, gradually compressed that space, and never either did they actually kick a high, high crossfield ball. So they completely, they were actually playing with 12. Well, Brian McIver said that they were overawed by the occasion. It was a league but final. I think, that, I think that was pretty obvious right yeah. from the, from from more go. I think they changed things. I don't know whether players on the pitch changed things or. But if I, I only him, I watched Derry uh, during the year. Yeah, they they protected like, the full back line. Like you say that that Dublin maybe need to do at different times. But uh, they normally protect a full back line, but not with the amount of players that they had. Literally at, at times, it was two and three players in their uh, end of the field. Dublin created three times as many chances, I think, as Derry did. When you're playing on a full forward line and you're getting that limited amount of possession, every time you get the ball, you think, I have to do something special mm-hmm. here. Next thing, you know, you lose possession of the ball, Dublin go up, kick the ball over the bar. It's very, you know, it's demoralising for every single player. But as I say, as, as a full forward, when you're getting as many chances as the likes of Brogan and O'Gara and these boys are getting, you know, it makes it a lot easier. You know, it's a lot easier to kick a wide and say, right, let's forget about that. Derry needed to make... Uh, the most of every single opportunity they got yesterday but they changed things yesterday they didn't play with any they looked like a team that were startled they looked like a team that um, were almost prepared for defeat rather than going up there so they were and giving startled, it a real good go they were startled more do you think by the challenge of facing Dublin or by the fact that they, there was some silverware it was a possible trophy I, know, they I think they were startled about the fact that, that they were facing Dublin I think they probably read a lot about Dublin I think they probably watched you know Let's say we do a video analysis on Dublin. You're going, oh Jesus! You know that's that, a bad idea. Then, yeah, as you a dairy, as a dairy defender, you're thinking, it. right? There's going to be the charge of the late brigade. This wee lovely pop ball into Owen O'Gara, who will win it no matter what. And then all of a sudden, he's got three, four options. He pops it to him. As a, as a dairy defender, like you could see Chrissy McKay going, like, come on, boys! Like you know, mm-hmm. somebody's going to have to you know follow from the middle of the field. But you can't. You can't pick up all the runners. And they had that many options yesterday that invariably somebody's going to get it pick off a score of some sort 
And again, Derry started with they started very, very poorly, but not only that, but they started differently. As I say, they tried to bring a lot of players back and the Lynn spent most of the first half on his own end of the field and he's he's not going to be able to express himself there. Mm. I mean, do you think they've lost so badly that it could derail their season? We were talking about it a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I think I think it, it well, it's a damaging defeat, there's no doubt about it. Now he might just write it off and go that's probably the best way for MacIver to do it, you know, to say, okay, we were overawed. It was a psychological mm, thing yeah. more so than a physical yeah. thing. So that might be the way to go. It, it, it's smart enough by him to go down that road because the, you could see by them, like 25 minutes ago in there, like it was, like, I mean, never even mind 25 minutes ago. After 10 minutes, I said, literally, Derry, Derry yeah. you're just living off scraps here. You know, like, I mean, the dominance of around the middle, they tried to do a few kickouts. I was worried about the keeper because he always kicks. He's a left footed keeper yeah. and he constantly kicks to his left. And I said, if Dublin do any kind of analysis on this, they'll just pile that left side. But Derry, smart enough, they brought Lynch out for a few kickouts and he won two or three off Johnny Cooper early on. But then that stopped. And they continued to just kick to him. And they Fergal Doherty and your man Bradley in midfield, who are two decent midfielders. Um, and they probably should have just let it off down the middle and let them battle for it. Yeah. But they, it is a little bit of a worry, Murph. But, but, but more to worry, like, it was a very, very surreal atmosphere yesterday in Crow Park. Like, even the Dublin supporters, um, and, you know, it's gas for, from obviously playing Dublin over the years and going to matches. I always feel you have, you have two types of Dublin supporters. You have the Dublin supporter who thinks that the rest of the county country absolutely hates them so they've got the chip on their shoulder but then when they start to win a lot that Dublin supporter actually turns into a fellow who kind of goes and he starts to applaud the other team and all around <laughs> me there were Dublin lads going ah oh, Jesus the keeper did well there didn't he the yeah. Derry keeper did well and they were applauding so is there anything worse than being abused by Dublin fans it's being patronised right. absolutely. <laughs> absolutely they were applauding Derry scores and I was going this has to stop this has yeah. to change this, like, I mean, this, this can't be our <laughs> lives for the next no, 10 years this is the worst thing ever well Dirty Gawler one of the counties that could change that we, we think or we thought maybe it was did a pretty bad defeat to Monaghan are you losing faith in Donegal yeah uh, yeah it was a pretty bad defeat and I suppose <clears throat> going back to Derry even you know they're not going to be playing Dublin every week their next game is against Donegal and really and truly that's a massive game now it, it probably just brings on that little bit of added importance because I think whoever wins that game has a serious opportunity going ahead and winning the Ulster title and building on sort of what the seasons that they've already had Whoever gets knocked out of that game is gonna, you know, seriously have to question, you know, two really where, bad defeats. In yeah, all. and yeah. where exactly mm. they're at, mm. you know, and you know how good are we? And I think we found out a lot about Donegal yesterday. Donegal looked tired. They look, they look ragged at times. Okay, they were well back in the game when Kavanagh got sent off and could have maybe kicked on and won the game. Even though I don't, I don't think they, I don't think they would have. But uh, I think they learned a lot about themselves yesterday. I think they're not maybe as good or as prepared as maybe they are. I think as well, you know, we talk about master tacticians and all, but Donegal didn't really look to have that many ideas. If the ball in the Murphy wasn't working yesterday, I mean, you know, they, they seem capable, of, I suppose, of, of being patient, holding on to the ball, fist-passing the ball, a lot of lateral stuff, mm-hmm. as we've been used to with Donegal. Very little penetration. Well, it'd be interesting, Very, yeah, because the, the the first year, in fairness to them, was incredibly defensive and all the yeah. rest, but it was impressive in how yeah. close they got to an All-Ireland final. They win the All-Ireland really impressively the following year. You're waiting to see what they do from there and just fell apart a little bit last year. That's the big challenge then. Can you get back to where you were or what's the next tactical innovation? And there, there isn't one at the moment that we can see. No, there isn't one at the moment. And I think, we're, we're, I think we... For me, yesterday, I was looking at a tired team. I don't know whether it's because of the way uh, on a training week yeah. or whatever it was. You can make whatever excuses you like, but 
players should be really be up for a game like that, and it didn't really look that up for it. You know, we talk about Dublin and those penetrating runs. We didn't really see that much. You used to see him at Glenn, you used to see him Lacey. They don't look as if they have the same energy, mm-hmm. you know, in order to do that. And when there's no energy in that team, and when you're playing the way they want to play, and you don't have that, what looked like a fitness level, and energy, and enthusiasm, well, then it's going to be very, very difficult for them to recreate what they had two years ago. Yeah, it was all like I mean, the two years ago was all based on energy. It was the, it was based on soaking it up, getting your tackles in, dispossessing it, and gone. Like I saw them once or twice yesterday, dispossessing them on a man, and gen- there usually would be four or five fellows gone. There was only one or two, um, and 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 one or two then actually getting isolated, you know, on no options and then kind of actually getting dispossessed and Monaghan doing it and Monaghan breaking with three or four men. Like, Monaghan looked like the men yesterday and mm-hmm. Donegal looked like the boys. Like, mm-hmm. Monaghan had pace and, like, even the two years ago, Owen, it it has moved on. Like, Dublin have set the template that, like, if you look at the, the Donegal forward line, yes, McFadden, excellent. Murphy, he was, he's been hot and cold yesterday but he is an excellent player. McBrarty has flattered to deceive. Then, really, that's your scoring vote. Whereas Dublin, Paul Flynn, I think, kicked three or four scores yesterday and worked, like, he kicked unbelievable points, but worked everywhere. Got kickouts, worked back. Like, Dublin now have kind of, you nearly have your six scoring forwards who are also doing work and who can link in with everything else. And that is the template. But are Monaghan um, players then in, in all Ireland terms? Monaghan, I have to say, Monaghan were very impressive. Now, the, the sending off did mess things up a bit because I did feel Donegal were coming into it a bit. But, you know, Dick Clarkin came on for Lennon. Finley came out around midfield so they put two kind of older smarter lads around the midfield and they really spread Donegal like they had two lads actually sitting on the sidelines in Crow Park and any time they got in trouble on one side of the field they looked up and they just sprayed the ball over to the far side of the field and Donegal were just going left to right um, and then for the goal it was the first time they really injected pace and power and with McManus inside He's lethal, like he really is. He literally gets the ball and he just goes straight at you. And McGee had his hands full with him yesterday. McGee's no slouch, but McManus is just... And they play him very, very well, you know. And they've got great pace and power coming through the two used boys in the middle of the field right around the half-back line. So, yeah, Monaghan are decent now. I have to say, they, they really impressed me yesterday. And they've won, you know, they won Division 3, they've won Division 2. Um, they're on an upward curve, you know, Ulster last year. So um, they, they'll, the gander is up there, definitely. And they found a few players as well. You know, mm-hmm. uh, Donachie and Malone, OK, they played a lot last year. But McC- the likes of McCarran, who they only introduced right at the end of the game, like he was he was very good during the league. Uh, McManus is, is fit and sharp and hungry a little bit. Like he's been used spa- sparingly, I suppose, yeah, during the league as well. Uh, they're certain- back there, uh, Kelly. Yeah. Number four, yes. Yeah, Fenton Kelly and, and like you've Colin Walsh to come back in uh, to that team from the start. And they're a team to, they're going to be a force to be reckoned with. It's very difficult. We're gauging it against Dublin all the time. Yeah. Are they capable of beating Dublin? No, they're probably not. But are they capable of getting to the latter stages of the challenge? Of course, they're definitely a quarter final team in the making. Uh, there's no absolutely no doubt about that. But I think they have to kick on. Maybe there is maybe another. 10% in them if they can get that then they'll be right up there challenging Have either of you ever received the Rory Kavanagh treatment there? Football to the An groin empty An empty football boot into the groin No I got a few boots in the face but uh, nothing, nothing <laughs> in the groin No the you're, groin you're telling me someone took their boot off and hit you across <laughs> no, the face with it No they didn't bother That's to take their boot <laughs> off Ulster <laughs> Championship <laughs> yeah. Great stuff Listen Ushin Anthony great stuff Thank you. Thank you I want to book a holiday I want the flights, the hotel, some flattering new bikinis, a big silly hat and nice dinners in local restaurants with cute waiters. And I want 
No, I have to be beach ready, so I need to be a regular saver. KBC understands spending is easy, but saving is hard. That's why we have a range of savings options with tempting rates that make saving simple, so you can save when you want and spend when you want. Visit kbc.ie, call 1-800-5152-53 or pop into any KBC hub in Dublin, Cork, Limerick and Galway. KBC, the bank of you. Terms and conditions apply. KBC Bank Ireland PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Well, uh, I think congratulations are in order to Anthony Dermurf, who has given birth mm. to a new GA phenomenon, the patronising Dublin supporter. I don't know that it's that new one. but uh, I, didn't, I, never, I never realised we were patronising. I thought we were uh, just abusive. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, I always like to talk about the Dublin GA supporter because I know it really gets your, gets your uh, really guns your engines on. Um, yeah, I, I, it, I haven't, I hadn't come across that myself. You know, I haven't, I haven't attended enough Dublin GA games in the like the last two months to see the birth of this. Yeah, but I mean, you know, if Anthony said it, then well, let's just recap on what he said here, Ken. Mm-hmm. What Anthony Moyle says now is that not only do you have to deal with the fans, uh, you know, questioning your, I don't know, pouring scorn upon your rural heritage as a non-dub. Mm-hmm. Pretty, pretty much anyone from outside Dublin gets the treatment from certain sections of the Dublin Sports. Yeah, you all hate us in all in any ways. I, I mean, yeah, basically I'm always mm-hmm. reminded whenever I go down the, the, down the country. Mm. Um, of down that, to Meath and Kildare, those kind of places. Scary, uh, scary places. The diary uh, of the German visitor to Ireland from, from, uh, in 1591, uh, recently published by UCC, uh, in which he describes the Irish people. Now, the people are dirty, uncouth and lazy. They have brains enough for roguery, but are ignorant of arts and the more subtle craftsmanship. They delight in idleness. They are no good for work. Rather than cultivate their fields, they stay at home and rest around their fires barely dressed. I myself have seen how seven people have dragged at one piece of timber without hardly moving it. I would have been well able to move it on my own. <laughs> so, look, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying so that... So you were saying this about the Derry football supporters yesterday in Crow Park. Is that, is that what I'm get, we were getting at here? I'm not saying that's how the rest of the country appears to a visitor from Dublin. Uh, but I will say, as a Dublin supporter, that it's great to see everyone else making such a plucky little effort. Yeah, there we are. This is, all lies, this is all lies and roguery, because I was, I was actually in Roscommon with, this, with my learned friend here, Mr. Early, last November... And Ken was literally the happiest man on the planet to be surrounded by those country folk, which he has just attempted to describe there. I mean, I, I mean, come on, Ken. You, you, that's, it's just lies. And we all know it's just lies. The Irish love each other dearly, but hate foreigners. They divorce their wives easily. Often women have to give birth alone and then have to walk for miles afterwards. Commented <laughs> <laughs> the German visit. That's all on the UCC uh, website. Coming we're, up we're in Second Cabin's Football. That's... Yeah, they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I need to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. But you don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I managed to stay alive for six days. I'm going to need it. I'd say it to you, but it's not saying it to you now. I'm down to Wanfield and we'll see them all week. What are you doing down here, you shawnee man? Yes, Ken. Well, we're going to look at the table. That one. Premier League table. It has two ends. Uh, one is the, uh, the top end, mm-hmm. and one is the, uh, the lower end. And we're going to talk about both ends. Both ends. Yeah. And we're going to talk a little bit also about the other things that are going on. The Champions League semi finals are on tomorrow. Pep Guardiola. Well, I mean, 
I was going to say Pep Guardiola is under a bit of pressure uh, from the Spanish media, from the German media, but mostly um, I think is is in a pretty bad place at the moment after Tito Villanova died. Tito Villanova, his his former assistant at Barcelona, died at the age of 45. Um, you know, just the horrendous yeah. uh, situation, personal situation um, for a lot of people involved at Barcelona and for uh, Guardiola, certainly uh, not not really the ideal uh, build-up um, you know, you don't. There was a, there was a footage of Guardiola uh, on the weekend after Bayern. I think scored a goal that made it three two, and I've never seen anyone any manager looks. Like, it's clear that he wasn't thinking about the game. That's it. Yeah. Can we also talk about the nonsense around Ryan Giggs and the oh, yes. momentum that seems to be building that could place Ryan Giggs as the next manager of Man United? Uh, <laughs> Would they be? Wouldn't, I don't know. I'm not convinced that but that's going to happen. They're going to go for it now. Well, I don't know. Uh, the, what the more, I will the, say the, the more it's written about it, the more Alan Hansen's of this world that talk about what a great idea it is. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, look, the Alex Ferguson's of this world. That happened since the last time uh, we did a show. Alex Ferguson uh, announced that Giggs should be the manager. Yeah. So you got Ferguson saying it. You've got Giggs obviously wanting it. You've got Scalzi, Buddy. Mm. Uh, Neville, Phil, Neveller, yeah. still it's in there. Those guys actually all came through together back in 1992. They did, yeah. and you've got uh, you've got Roy Keane apologising for uh, not picking some of his former teammates in his in his all time eleven and saying he regrets. Oh, did he apologise? <laughs> oh, that passed me by. Yeah, he, he I'll read says, up on that in between shows. He, he says he regrets. Uh, Disrespecting his teammates in such a way, and he's sorry about what he what he did. Wow, somebody wants to be in with the class and I do. Well, you know, if only uh, if only things could have played out a little differently there. Um, so you do have a lot of uh, support for gigs, and I suppose a lot of the supporters would be keen on the idea of gigs, just because I think a lot of Man United fans would have liked that image of Ryan Giggs walking down the touchline with Paul Scholes, Nicky Button, and oh, no, okay, Phil Neville. Yeah, but just you know, because it makes a great poster, though, <laughs> you know. Yeah, poster yeah, doesn't I, make I, I the movie. Fear. But what, whether or not this, the, the key person here is Edward Woodward. Now, I doubt he would have appreciated Alex Ferguson's public declaration of support for Ryan Giggs. Uh, I mean, he's under a little bit of pressure himself. But now Woodward has this situation where he knows that if he picks someone other than Ryan Giggs, there's going to be a lot of disgruntled. Yeah, well, this is it. That Van Hal, if it is Van Hal, whoever it is, Ancelotti comes in. And there's a disaffected rump of supporters straight away, perhaps. I wouldn't particularly want Ryan Giggs as my assistant. David Moyes kind of tried that one. <sighs> and I'm not sure any manager would particularly want uh, a lean, hungry, useful, uh, incredibly popular does look and incredibly scene, ambitious assistant. Yeah. <laughs> Let me have about me men that are fat. Patrick Clivert, <sighs> I think, is maybe uh, fits that. Description. Jerry Thornley is in Marseille getting ready to fly home after yesterday's disappointment. Jerry for Munster. Shane Horgan, I'm going to start with you though. Damien Vardy said afterwards that they'd expected more physicality from Toulon. And Munster, in fairness, they got a lot of things right because they negated that they didn't really allow Toulon to be as physical. And Bastero in particular, Armitage, Stefan Armitage, these guys weren't quite as dynamic as they had been against Leinster. Do you think it took Munster too long to realise that Toulon weren't at the level they looked like they were at a couple of weeks ago? Um, that might be the case. You're right. Bastro had had a, a quiet game. I thought Munster were quite smart in the defensive system they employed. They only left one in the backfield, and that meant they had it sometimes 14 across the line. Uh, it meant that their defenders could get a little bit tighter together. There was less holes to run, so there was less soft shoulders. And uh, Toulon didn't really figure that out until 
maybe the last third of the game when they kicked a few balls in behind. And even at that, um, they didn't exploit it very much. So I think that was really smart by, by Munster. Um, and, and it did keep them in the game for long times. It allowed them um, to stay just in touch with uh, Toulon. But I think it was probably the attacking game that limited um, Munster and limited the opportunities had. Yeah, they scored a try, um, but... It, it, they never really scored. It felt as if you, they could go from deep. It was something they were going to have to have phase after phase after phase, grind them down, or use the corners and go after their um, their line out. Uh, but you know, making a, a, a break in their own half, which they attempted to do on a number of occasions, I, I think you know that wasn't a good game plan. Well, Rob Penny said that their skill level wasn't where it needed to be, and th- this has been the debate around Penny for the last couple of years, whether he was asking too much of the players. A lot of the mistakes to me, Shane, though, looked like they came in fairly um, straightforward situations. You know, Conor Murray knocked one on that I can think of in the second half. A couple of kickoffs were were dropped. I mean, th- this has nothing to do with a complex game plan. Uh, it seemed like Munster just m- made a lot of ridiculous mistakes. Uh, no, it was a mixture of both. Uh, mm-hmm. I thought they made some they made some poor errors from the restart. Their exit strategy was poor, and that was off the basis of just uh, you know handling errors, uh, which is unusual for them. They're normally perfect in that area, and gave Toulon a, a, a foothold. I think they did try to move some ball on occasion in um, in their own half, and there was that sort of wide wide pattern. And I think the difference between Munster playing well and Munster playing badly, and it's very often the case of Munster playing in. Europe and not playing in Europe has been that they reverted to a, a more simple game plan, one that doesn't ask as much of the players, but what it does do is it focuses the players' minds on exactly what they can do and they play to the very best of their skill set. I think when they push their skill set that little bit further by trying to move the ball out wide, um, I don't think they're as good at it and they don't get the, the same type of results. That said, the Toulon line speed was really, really quick, and I thought it was questionable on a couple of occasions. They were, you know, they looked to be a shooter coming out of the midfield, and you know he wasn't that shooter wasn't even very hard, far, far ahead of anybody else. That's how good the line speed was. It made things more difficult, and under the pressure, yeah, the skill level and, and the handling dropped a bit. But that was coupled with. Um, unforced errors on a couple of occasions as well. What do you think, uh, Jerry? Do you think that they, they did try to do a little too much? Yeah, I did. I thought they played too much rugby, too much rugby in their own half. Uh, there was much of their back play was too lateral. Um, I agree with Shane. We 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 were within earshot of Simon Mannix, although you only have to be within 100 metres to be within earshot of Simon Mannix. Generally during a game, he gets very animated. And he was screaming for offside. I remember Leinster doing the same when they were down in Toulon three weeks ago. Wayne Barnes and his officials did not give one penalty for offside in the match that I can recall. The penalty count was 12-8 against Munster, which was harsh and extreme. Um, for a team that had the best disciplinary record in the tournament going into the match, conceding only eight penalties per game, um, and there was no chance of them too long being pushed for being left for offside from our vantage point, which was ideal. It certainly looked on at least three or four occasions that the shooter had gone early. Um, so yeah, that did put them under pressure, and maybe they could have adapted more. I would have liked to see more pick and go from the pack. I would have liked to see more close in charges at times to try and get Toulon on the back foot. But that being said, Toulon have a very, very aggressive physical defence that, when it's given latitude from the officials, is very, very hard to break down. In the heat of the hunt, you could say that you know by going to the corner once, they were rewarded with Connor Murray and Simon Zebo combining that try in the corner, and it was the only try of the match. But uh, like I said, I still can't get over the fact they did, they went there again when backing themselves into the corner to score a second try. In effect, they had to score there. From that point on, they had to score a second try to win the game. Whereas you know another kick might have won the game for them. And in a in a in a match 
where try scoring chances were at a premium, where line breaks were at a, a premium. I think Munster only made two in the entire match. Uh, Toulon made five. You know, if, if you, to back yourself to have to score a second try was a big ask, uh, all the more so. It's funny all these things we talk about, Shane, because I, I suppose what you do expect from Munster is to often be the smarter team to play cup rugby to throw out the cliche there and you said that maybe defensively they did do that but in an attacking sense they didn't uh, the game management would have been part of that do you agree with Jerry that the decision to go for the, the line out in the mall was the wrong one? I'm not sure I've been thinking about it um, ever since the decision was made and there's pros and cons for both I think you know on one side yeah take the penalty and that you know, puts a lot of pressure on Toulon, and maybe it was the first time in the game that you know that, that that switch could have occurred. And we've spoken about this in the show before, where um, you know, because a team that's favourites, there's a point in the game if you can stay with them that the pressure immediately switches over to to them. And you were you were wondering where was it was Munster getting to that point, but because they got so um, they'd done so badly from restarts, for me they didn't look as if they were going to go the length of the field and put that many phases together and uh, and get another penalty. So I have to say I think it was a I thought it was a courageous decision, and I think on the balance of the game I think it was probably the right thing to do, um, and. You know how were Munster going to win? Yes, he would have kicked that goal. Would they have got down and scored another one? Would they have been given another chance? I don't know. I think that Toulon dominated the game in almost every aspect for long periods, and it was going to have to be a sucker punch that was uh, going to take them out. I don't think that Munster were going to grind them down and get another penalty, but they did have an opportunity to win the game there and then um, from from the penalty from the from the line out from the rolling mall. And I think it was a courageous decision, and I think it was the right decision as well. Yeah. I didn't think they had a big enough influence in the game to um, not to not to go for it. It was interesting because they were down to fourteen men at that stage. Now it was Keith Earls who was off, so I suppose he wasn't going to contribute greatly to uh, driving mall. Does, does that come into into play at all when you're thinking game management that we're down one player? Yeah, I did. I did think about that as well. I thought that was another issue, um, but because they were going out for the line line out mall, it. You know, and they weren't going to do anything but the line-out mall, then you know it shouldn't have really been an issue. And if they had to set the rolling mall correctly, and they had have um, you know implemented it the way they wanted to do, and I think it was smart actually uh, that they identified their, uh, Toulon's lack of ability to deal with the, the um, rolling mall as well. So that was another canny thing from Munster, um, but they just didn't have an opportunity to implement it often enough, and. Unfortunately, didn't implement it accurately enough on that occasion. Jerry, you're not going to be swayed on this one. No, I, I, I just think that I think if Ron Lugar had been there, they might well have taken the three points. Do you know what I mean? I just think he would have said, "No, lads, come on, yeah, I'm taking this. Gets within two. Get me down here one more time, and I'll hand you a drop goal or a penalty to win it." And, it, and I just think a five-point game, like I said, when try scoring chances were a premium, they, by going to the corner, they had to score a try there and then or later. They, there was no other way they could win the game. It was ruling out the option of two kicks winning the game. And I thought in a low-scoring cup tie with chance at a premium, I'm absolutely 100% sure that Toulon in the same position would have gone for the post with Johnny Wilkinson. And the other factor as well is that Ian Keekley was striking the ball so well. He just landed a conversion from the touchline. I mean, he only had the one miss from very long range. He got in, nailed his other four unerringly. And I'm sure he would have. And it would have, I would have liked to see the pressure that would have brought on Toulon. I think by, I think Toulon would have almost preferred Munster to go to the corner because they knew that once they repelled that mall and broke out, 
they were five points clear. And of course, it also meant that then they could tag on one more kick and for insurance and that they were out of sight. Well, we could agree that um, Paddy leaves Munster in a... I would have thought a reasonably healthy situation, Shane, in that they, they've been in a couple of Heineken Cup semi-finals with them. They have at least tried to, uh, to develop their skill set. Maybe it has broken down under pressure, as we've talked about here. But do, does he actually leave them, considering the playing resources at his uh, disposal compared to what they had a few years ago, in, in decent enough, Nick? Um, what he's done is he sort of managed a, a period of real transition. So if you look at the team... You know, before he came in and the team now, there's a huge number, there's a huge turnover of players, and uh, he has developed players. He's the the sum have now come in, been established, um, and you know that that's a good basis for going forward. I think overall, I don't think it's worked. You know, I don't think the penny era has worked, um, and I think that it would have been worse, but for. Uh, the input of senior players uh, around this time last year, if you remember mm. the uh, the game against Harlequins, where you know that the the penny manifesto was really you know put to one side, and there was a real reversion to you know the way Munster can play, and that for me came from Ronan O'Gara, it came from uh, Paul O'Connell, um, and I think in this year we saw that you know what Penny wanted to do, you know, what he wanted to do originally had changed a bit and he had encompassed more of a, a traditional direct approach. Um, but I think when Munster have played well this year and indeed last year, it's when they played um, a more simple game plan. I don't mean, you know, simple as in easy. It's not hard to implement. It's not easy to implement. It's difficult. It takes a huge amount of aggression, physicality. It takes a good 10 uh, putting the balls in the right areas. It takes commitment from players. Uh, and when, when they've played badly, I think it's because they have looked to what I would have said was uh, a penny model of trying to move the ball wide. The skill set, I don't know how much it has improved. There's elements of it certainly have. But a basic of trying to, his philosophy of trying to move a ball wide, and for example, Joe Schmidt's philosophy of trying to move a ball wide are very different. Um, he's more about just getting the ball out there and the the movement from wide to wide to wide um, eventually causes a gap or causes a soft shoulder. And the difference between that and Joe Smith is Joe Smith looks to break the team down and go around them or through them while going wide. Now, that's very different. I don't like Penny's approach. Uh, I never felt it was particularly good for Munster, but he has done other good things and he has, you have to commend him on the amount of young players he's brought through. I think uh, a reversion further back to a more traditional Munster game and not just a a Munster game, but a a game um, that cherishes um, the ability to try and beat teams our first phase. I think that's it's more naturally sits with the Irish um, mindset and with Irish players. And it's what, Irish players and Munster players are more used to. To say the model hasn't worked though, Shane, I mean, he did have them within uh, one successful driving mall of possibly knocking Toulon out and getting into a Heineken Cup semi-final. I do take the point that maybe players started uh, getting a bit more input into things, but is that not also the sign of a good coach that he actually took that on board and he got to a point at the end of his reign that he actually had the, had the styles married up reasonably well. I mean, they almost beat Toulon in a Heineken Cup semi-final yesterday. Well, well, well taking on taking on the... Um you know the, the ideas of other players. I do. I think that's very good. I think that you know shows a lot of character as well. But I, I think he resisted it for quite a long time last year, and it wasn't until it was almost forced upon him 
um, in that game against um, uh, Harlequins that you know you could see a real shift, and I think that was a bit of an eye opener. And then that came through to some point this year. You know, I, yes, they were only a rolling mall away from uh, beating Toulon, but they didn't play well in the game. And it was a game that Toulon completely dominated. And aside from maybe a, a 10 or 15-minute period, um, they were much, much stronger. I don't think Munster actually caused... Uh, you know, I've seen Munster play a lot of games and they, you know, they can cause teams a lot of trouble. They didn't consistently cause... Chilon trouble during that game. Yes, they did the remarkable thing that Munster do. They somehow managed to stay in the game and stay and keep fighting and give themselves an opportunity to win. But I don't think it was off the basis of a, a game plan that outthought um, Toulon. Jerry, the penny era hasn't worked, Shane says. Um, I can see a lot of what Shane's coming from. I think they will have regrets about the game plan, um, the, sc- the skill levels ultimately um, didn't. Uh, didn't make the grain pan work and you know the coaches have to take it to the degree that I think the back play I've got to be frank under Simon Mannix has been poor way too lateral not enough variation um, drifting across the pitch and quite easy to defend with there was times like yesterday when Paul O'Connell was dropping the ball on the wing I don't know why he was out in the wing he's never on the wing for Ireland um, but you know all that aside you have to look at the penny era and say that the team that lost in Toulon three years ago I think only four of the 15 and three of the 15 pitched up for battle uh, yesterday. So he has overseen quite a transition. The young players clearly like him. Um, they do play with a lot more belief, maybe. Their league performances have improved significantly in last year. We've got to remember that. And they came within a bounce of the ball a year ago away to Claremont and one driving mall away to Toulon in successive semi-finals and pitched up for battle against Toulon better than Leinster done a few weeks earlier. So I think you have to cut him some slack for that. Um, I, he probably feel he hasn't got a fair crack of the whip that back-to-back semi-finals and maybe getting back into the Rabo semi-finals as well depending on how they go in their last two games is a reasonably fair return given such a transition I mean they lost Ron Nogara at the end of last season as well so but moving forward you really fear for them when they're going to lose Paul O'Connell because um, that, he must only have one or two more campaigns in him left and you wonder how many more shots they're going to get at it and you've got to say Penny was a little bit unlucky as well in getting successive semi-final away draws you know, that's not lucky. It would have been interesting, as he said himself, if yesterday's match had been the Aviva or a year ago against Claremont, they played Claremont and the Aviva. Playing um, Claremont and Toulon in their home from homes in the south of France, was, was, he got, a, he got the short, a short straw there in terms of the draw. So you've you got to bear that in mind as well. Shane, Anthony Foley uh, will assuredly bring back some of those, those values that you talk about and, and, and style of play and tap into, into the Munster way of thinking. But the, we are in a situation now, we see the final pairing is between big money Toulon and big money Saracens in the Heineken Cup this year. It's a new competition next year. I don't know if that is going to make any uh, practical difference. But is the gap now um, actually getting so significant financially or is that overstated somewhat? But is it, is it so significant that whatever values he tries to implement, it's going to be tough for, for Munster and it's going to be tough for the Irish provinces to stay with the top French and English teams? Yeah, I don't, I, listen, I don't, I don't think that Penny had the wrong values actually at all. I just think maybe his, his, his style of play and his philosophy, I don't think married up uh, so much with, with Munster. I don't, think, I don't particularly like it anyway, but I don't think it particularly married up with Munster. But um, beside that, to, to address your point, 
I, I think it's a less of a concern for Irish teams, actually. I think it's, it's more difficult uh, to compete in the top 14 or, to top, uh, or in the premiership if, you're, if you don't have the financial clout of maybe the top three or four teams in, in each of those divisions. Um, for Irish teams, I think it's less of an issue because we are in the situation that um, Irish players do make a decision on staying with their provinces, not purely on financial basis, but uh, also on um, a desire to stay at home, player welfare, um, and an attachment to their province as well. So um, I think it's less of a concern right now. When the French money kicks in next year, the gap is going to be even wider. There's going to be bigger um, inducements for players to go over. Um, That's when I think you're going to see a widening of the gap because if we get into a situation where Irish teams can't hold their players um, because um, the, the financial might of the French side that's going to be become that is going to uh, be difficult I think um, well, the other thing that we have you know it'll have to be addressed at some stage is the standard of the um, the Pro 12 and the quality there has dropped this year significantly it's not as good as it was Um you know, will it be different next year? It's not, you know, it'd be hard to say it will be better. At some stage, players as well will say this actually is not a good enough competition and that I, although I'm being looked after, I don't have to play too many games. Um, international rugby is important, but it's not everything as well. And players want to play consistently high level against the best. And the further the, the, top, the, the Pro 12 drops, the bigger the disparity between uh, it and the other two leagues. Now, I think increasingly the the French are looking to bring over superstars, to bring the massive players in. I just think that uh, to compete for the next couple of years, leave aside the issue that I, I just mentioned there, is that we have to be very tactically aware. And I think Irish teams have been that. I think they've been ahead of the French counterparts. They've certainly been ahead of Saracens. Saracens, to me, at the, uh, at the weekend, you know, were very, very impressive. But I still think that, you know, Ireland's very heavy on rugby intellectual, intellectual property. Uh, now, it makes it more difficult uh, to compete when a side is that big and that physical. And we've seen those two sides in particular are, you know, are perfect examples of that. But I think that we also saw enough in, you know, in how Saracens has played this year and how Toulon have played this year to think, if an Irish team got everything right and they dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's and were really put themselves under pressure skill-wise and implemented um, a game plan that to break down those that sort of defence, I think the Irish teams can, can, still, can still compete. Jerry, the gap is not unbridgeable? Um, it's hard not to be concerned for a number of reasons, Owen, about what the future holds in the brave new dawn of the European Rugby Champions Cup for a number of reasons. The goalposts are going to shift significantly, um, not just in a reduction from 24 to 20 teams, and therefore it's going to be tougher to get out of the pool stages and into the quarterfinals. Um, the Rabo is, I agree with Shane and Tardy, it's a poor league, and it's way behind the top 14 in the Premiership, bloated and overhyped as they may be. The standard is not as good. Hopefully, um, a top six qualifying um route into the Heineken Cup or the new European tournament will make that more competitive all the way down and uh, teams will you know, stay competitive right to the very end and the, the matches will be more meaningful and that will help. Um, but the French and English, you see, the World Cup's coming up and that's meant the, mar- the transfer market is relatively quiet. But post-World Cup, 
or around the time of the World Cup, it'll start to kick in again. And a lot of the leading lights of the Southern Hemisphere are going to head to the gravy train that is the top 14, and even to green out the Premiership. And the Irish uh, province are going to struggle to compete, not only to hold on to their leading lights, but also to compete for those stars that come from the Southern Hemisphere. Um, the French top 14 clubs have just doubled their financial income from Canal Plu to over 70 million a year. The French top 14 clubs each received a 2 million bonus effect, effect loyalty payment from the French Federation to stay within the European fold and, and sign the new agreement with the French Federation. The English clubs now are much more competitive financially than they were a few years ago, particularly as they can acquire one marquee signing. It's one of the main reasons that John Afoe is now leaving Ulster and going to Gloucester. And no matter who they bring in, Ulster are not going to get a like-for-like replacement in John Afoa. Now, Ulster have done remarkably well to keep on to Ruan Pina, and the RFU have done remarkably well to keep on to Sean O'Brien and, um, and Jamie Heaslip. But the competition will start again immediately next season. I think I mean, Rob Carney and one or two other will be out of contract at the end of the next season. And we'll have the whole Johnny Sexton saga kicking in again from around about, oh, maybe next November, because he's in the second year of a two-year deal, but with a one-year option. And life's improving for Johnny Sexton in, in, in Paris and in Racing Metro where they're going to most likely make the playoffs and be real contenders to the Bouclier de Breno. So I, I, the goalposts are shifting, and it's going to be every bit as challenging for the IRBU and the problems as it has been, if not more so. That's just the financial realities of the new, the new world that we're moving into. And a big, big factor in Irish players staying at home and the problems of being competitive is kind of interrelated. There's the player welfare, there's the financial competitiveness of what the IRFU are offering them, but critically... Ron O'Gara spent his life at Munster and Paul O'Connell spent his life at Munster and Brian O'Driscoll spent his life at Leinster, his playing career, because they could win European Cups, because they were competitive, because they could win leagues. But if that ceased to be the case, on top of much improved financial offers from abroad, I mean, I could see Sean O'Brien moving one day, for sure. You know what I mean? And I, I'm not, I don't think we're going to get as, much, as many players staying with their problems throughout their careers, as has been the case. And last but not least, these things are cyclical. And we've just seen Leinster lose Joe Schmidt, Easton the Fayette, Johnny Sexton, with Brian O'Driscoll to follow, Leo Cullen, maybe Shane Jennings and Gordon Darcy not far behind them. You know, it's very hard to maintain the huge, highly hard standards they had of three Heineken Cups in four years when um, you su- suffer that hemorrhage of leadership and talent within an organisation. OK, well, we're going to have to leave it on that, um, on that note. Listen, Jerry Thorny, brilliant stuff. Shane Horgan, thank you. Thanks so much. It's interesting that Shane says that has a different take from Jerry there. Shane isn't as fearful that there will be this widening gap between the Irish teams and the others in part or largely because we're very smart in how we think about the game and we'll continue to be so. Um, it's Which makes sense, but the only, I don't know, I'm trying to think of any football comparisons here, Ken, but being smart and having a philosophy is great, but money can buy smartness too and the more money the French clubs have, and the more settled they get, the more culture is built into a couple of their their clubs. Um, you would think that maybe they can you can you can buy smartness, no? Well, Manchester City pretty much did, didn't they? Well, they bought Tiki Bigurastan. Is that what you're saying? Well, they, I mean, they bought a lot of smart players. They've got a really um, sophisticated coaching, scouting, all that kind of setup. Um, it doesn't guarantee. I anything. mean, compared to where they were. Before they got all the money, yeah, um, I'd say they've smartened up quite a lot. Well, yeah, it doesn't guarantee anything, but it does having the money. You can, you can make a total Haynes of it still, but it does give I, you a chance to go and get the best 
coaches around. Yeah, and I already did, they're getting the best players around in France. Yeah, and I did see uh, quite a few people even saying over the weekend that Toulon aren't. They're not the team of mercenaries, maybe that we might have painted them in oh, no. previous years. They have actually bought in guys, the exact type of guys, as well as being brilliant rugby players. Also, the right type of character to make sure that they're not just coming over yeah. for paychecks. And the, the idea of mercenaries is a bit ridiculous. It's you know they're professional sports people, and it's not that long a career. And also, we're not even talking about footballers' wages here. They're they're getting paid ridiculously well, sure. Um, but I, d- I don't see why they shouldn't be doing that. They're they're playing in a top league and also in a top European competition and they're getting well paid. As the term mercenary should only really exist, I guess, if they're not putting in the effort for it. And that's but exactly what I mean. Lot, I, mean yeah. I mean, I'm sure a lot of mercenaries over the years, just because you're a mercenary doesn't mean you're not going to put the effort in. It just means you like the, the bit of money that you're getting for your efforts. Well, that, 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 that may be true. But I mean, I, I think as well, I mean, I don't think anyone begrudges the players at all. That's, that's, not, that's not it either. I mean, if the money is floating around the games or the sports, then... Players might as well get it as anyone else. Yeah. So. All right, have a listen to us on iTunes, uh, Stitcher, the IPP app if you're on Android or if you want to tell your friends about the show. Loads of other great shows on irishtimes.com forward slash podcasts. You can see them all grouped together, get together there. I should say that's irishtimes.com forward slash podcasts. This has been Second Captains at the Irish Times. Football show will come up a little bit later on. Plenty of um, Liverpool chat, plenty of Moyes chat. Uh, not Moyes. He's no, gone now. No, no Giggs. more Moyes chat. Never Giggs talking chat. about him again. Well, actually, we might because there was an interesting article from Jonathan Northcroft in the Sunday Times. And his sources, oh, yeah. he was really well briefed for that. <laughs> uh, really well briefed. Yeah, I think that, that one uh, probably was quite well sourced. We will talk a little bit about that so later on. It seems to pique both of your interests and hopefully your listeners are interested too. Thanks, Murph. Thank you, Owen. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, Owen. Thanks, Kieran. Thanks, Ken. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk later. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys.